Alright guys, welcome back to, to Dad Travel. Sorry for the, the long delay. Um, I meant to really make this episode a, a long time ago. And, and once I got back from Scotland, we had, a, uh, <coughs> we had our foreign exchange kid in for several weeks. And then from there it was straight into football, which uh, we had a very long, very amazing uh, and productive season this year so went all the way to the state championship undefeated um going in won it and so I'm just now getting to the point where where I've got a little free time and I've been able to rest a little bit and sort of get back on track so but uh but yeah so welcome to the next episode uh obviously this episode is going to be about my without a doubt the most amazing trip I've ever done ever and that's my trip to Scotland. I'd done the pre the pre trip um, episode, and you know, I think part of me, I think part of me really didn't want to do this episode because the moment that I that I do this episode, I pretty much accept that that the trip's over, and <clears throat> that trip was so special to me and so emotional and everything else that, that I don't think I really wanted that to happen. And this is one of those trips really that, you know, you didn't really want it to be over just because of how amazing it was. And, <clears throat> you know, the things that we, that I saw, the experiences I had with my buddies, the experiences I had solo, um, the just, you know, just the coincidental things that happened or uncoincidental, depending on how you look at it and what your beliefs are. <coughs> um, just made this trip one for the ages, you know, one that, um, I definitely want to take my wife and my kids back to certain parts that we went to and, and, uh, could see several of those places being, being very common destinations for me in the future. But, uh, <coughs> But today's episode, really, I'm going to focus, you know, really try to just stay on the highlights. I could very easily, you know, talk about Scotland for, for hours and hours and uh, give you every waking detail. But I'm, I'm going to try to keep it to the high points and some of the cooler experiences that, that uh, we had going on. So, but anyway, um, so first, let me talk about just traveling alone. Um, this is the first time that... I'd ever, you know, traveled internationally with, with nobody else going over with me at the same time. <clears throat> and it was very liberating, you know, just knowing that there's nobody else's bags I got to look out for, which I didn't even check any bags. So, so really I just, you know, right when I got off the plane, I just sauntered out, went through customs and went on my way. And, and, uh, um, just the excitement, even on the way over, you know, I was just so ready for this trip to happen. Um, a to have fun and, and, and B just, to you know, emotionally heal just a little bit from everything that had gone on the year prior with, with my mom. And, um, so first couple days, <clears throat> you know, I, um, so once I arrived, I took the bus into, uh, Edinburgh proper, which, if you ever fly into Edinburgh, the bus is there that you can take. Um, I want I want to say it was a maybe a seven pound ticket um, there and back. Um, and there's I want to say there's really no timetable or maybe like a thirty day timetable from when you take your trip into the city for when you can take your trip back to the airport. Uh, the buses were really 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 nice. They were frequent. They had free Wi-Fi too. Um, I was actually able to to get on there and actually um, make a uh, Wi-Fi call back home and talk to the wife and kids when I arrived, which was really really good. Um, and on top of that, for you know, for the tourist aspect, they are a, a double decker bus, you know, so you do get to see a lot of the sites as you're driving into town. So and drops you off. Um, the last stop is the main train terminal there in Edinburgh, um, they drop you off at, on the bridge just right above. From the bridge, 
Most people are going to want to go more than likely to the Royal Mile, Old Town, part of the city, which is right there. You have a, a little bit of a steep uphill walk uh, to get to get to there. Uh, me and myself, I actually stayed in Newtown, which again, Newtown is, is uh, in American terms is 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 our old town, um, dating back still hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, but I had a, a, a I had an Airbnb rental, just a, a one bedroom within somebody's apartment, um, which I know some people are apprehensive doing that. I mean, I did it, had no issues. Um, you know, Ashley did it twice, and, and uh, um, I mean, the people were, were very welcoming and had, you know, no concerns or safety issues or anything like that. The only issue that I had is I didn't want to turn my phone on to data, <clears throat> and when I arrived and got off the bus, I had issues finding the flat or getting into the flat without the person, and, um, but once I was able to connect to some Wi-Fi there at a cafe, everything was good. Um, and the other benefit of where I stayed, you know, a, I could see the coastline, which was really beautiful. And on top of that, um, the bus terminal where I would be taking the rabbies tour the next day was just literally a block up the road. Uh, so it was perfectly located and really I just spent that day, um, walk around trying to find a little bit of a bike to eat, um, and find a pub, which I did find a cask and barrel which is you know, just a quite little pub, had a lot of uh, very interesting uh, uh, ales and beers on tap. Um, so I hung out there, I want to say twice actually, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed anything that I drank there. Um, and then went to bed and, and woke up and, <clears throat> and really the Rabbies tour um, started the trip off on the note that it needed to. If you're looking for a very easy way for you to see the UK, but actually now they've they've also expanded out to uh, um, to mainland Europe too, I would highly suggest it. You're on a uh, a 15 passenger micro bus, uh, so it's a limited amount of people. You know your bus can get in and out of places a whole lot easier than a big charter bus can. You have more sort of one one time you know with your tour guide also than you would on a big tour company um and and honestly we had a tour guide ewan that was absolutely amazing and and he and he really went above and beyond and and i can't really talk for how much he made the trip uh um by the end of it everybody on our bus was just um was just in love with the experience that we had so um so I highly, highly, highly recommend taking a Rabbies tour, especially if you want to take one of a drinking variety, which not only do they have the Isla tour, which I did, but they also have um, at least one, if not multiple other whiskey tours throughout Scotland. Um, and, you know, you don't have to worry about drinking and driving, which on Isla especially was a positive just due to how many, you know, one lane roads there were. And two, you know, He's been on these tours and he's taken these tours so many times that he knows the people, the distilleries. There were several times where he was just able to call ahead, you know, even though he didn't have um, really have an appointment, you know, and just be like, hey, I want to bring him by. You know, can they have a tasting? You know, what can we do? And stuff was able to get worked out every time. And so um, so Rabbies is amazing. You know, please take one of those if you are looking at them. So. <clears throat> The other thing that I really enjoyed about the Rabbies tour that honestly I was a little apprehensive of at first, but I should have known better was <clears throat> the mixture of people on the tour. So um, I was the only person there completely on their own, except for this uh, other young man from, from Japan. Um, there was a, a couple from Washington, D.C., but they were both, I believe, originally from Latvia. Uh, and then there was two other girls that traveled t- together from Japan. And then there was um, a married couple from Germany and then two buddies uh, that were from Germany also that they were there on a guy's trip. And one of them, when he was headed back, was going to get married. And so, <clears throat> you know, was a little apprehensive at first just because, you know, 
again, I'd been on group tours, but never, you know, a group tour that I'd gone on my own. And, and by the end of it, um, absolutely had a blast. Um, the couple from DC, we ended up exchanging, um, phone numbers just in case I, if I ever made it up to DC with the wife and kids, they could show us around and, <clears throat> and, uh, Ended up rooming with the two men from Germany and the two girls from Japan in a cottage uh, on the island. And uh, so got to know them better. And uh, I mean, it's just just a really, really great experience. The funniest thing, though, is that, you know, being being a guy from Arkansas, living in Texas, you know, from the South, <clears throat> I never expect to to be the person who uh, others look to to be the best speaker. And so at the end of the trip, we all enjoyed Ewan uh, and the experience he gave us so much that we all sort of, you know, collected a little pot of money and, and uh, gave it to him so that he could go and, you know, buy him a good bottle of whiskey or whatever else. And, uh, and so the, the group sort of looked to me to be the one to sort of make the speech on the bus on our last full day. And, uh, because I had the best English speaking skills, <laughs> which, which just sort of, uh, uh, I was honored a, but B I was sort of shocked at the same time. So, but from there, just the tour itself. So, um, so we left Edinburgh, you know, drove westward, which even though I've taken trains all over the UK and everything else, you know, you're always a little curious of just how quick you're going to be able to drive around the UK. And so we were able to make it from Edinburgh um, out to the coastline pretty quick um, to catch our ferry. But we were able to stop on the way at a few places and, and really get out and, and explore, you know, and, and take some time and see some sights and all that. Uh, probably the first, the first stop we had was just really beautiful. You know, you think Scotland, and one of the first things you think is just nature and, and, and how rugged it is. And, and so our first stop was just one of the, the many locks in Scotland. And uh, you could tell a temperature difference, too, just from being there and, you know, being in Edinburgh proper and just being able to walk around the coast or the uh, shoreline of the lake and smell the fresh air, you know, which, which there is a definitive, once you get out in true wilderness, there's a definitive different smell and feel to the air. Then other big highlights that we had after the lock is the second place we stopped at, which really, really sort of reassured me that this trip was going to be awesome, that, that I was taking it for the right reasons and everything else was we stopped at a little church on the side of a lake. And what was really, really interesting is, you know, due to the reason why I was on the trip, this church was built by a son for his mother. And so, you know, that sort of, you know, that sort of hit me in the emotions there a little bit and, and got me got me feeling good and, and got me feeling really, really positive about everything else we were going to see also. So, uh, besides that, we stopped in, um, Oban and, uh, was able to find a pretty good meal there and walk around, which that was our first real experience with Scottish rain. Um, had a little bit there, but was able to stop in the Oban distillery, which is fairly small, but was able to go in there and have a, have a quick flight of whiskeys. And uh, take some pictures in the little town. Uh, the other interesting sites that we stopped at on the way is we stopped at some uh, Pictish stones. <coughs> and they were just literally out in the middle of nowhere in this guy's, or sorry, in this farmer's fields. So, you know, you had to walk through, you had to make sure that you didn't uh, mess with the sheep at all. But But they had burial grounds, they had... They had these stones that, that would remind most Americans of Stonehenge. And there was three or four different sites that you could walk to. And just, I mean, absolutely really, really, really interesting. Um, and could sort of give you a feel for, you know, just how Scotland was, you know, 
hundreds upon hundreds of years ago and the people that lived there. And, and so that was really, really neat. <clears throat> and then also we stopped at um, the little village of Kilmartin and got to get out at a cemetery and, um, you know, check out this really neat little church and also go in and see these really, really beautiful ornate tombstones of priests and, and, and knights and soldiers and all that. And then probably found my first just really interesting, small, cozy um, backwoods pub. Um, the uh, Kill Martin Hotel Bar was just really, really, really neat. Yeah, I mean, very, very small, like the main bar area, the main room, you know, on a good day, it could maybe fit, you know, 15, 20 people, had a nice little fireplace, uh, and also had one of the many Orkney ales that I'd had on the trip, had a porter there, I believe, and it was absolutely outstanding and never saw that same, uh, same beer any, anywhere else that I went to. And then from there, it was really, you know, onto, uh, onto the coast to see the ferry and get on the ferry. And, um, and that was an experience. It, the weather cleared up a little bit, you know, it'd been raining off and on, but once we got on the ferry, which we had to wait a little bit, which there were so many people going, you know, onto the ferry and coming back from the ferry, you know, I actually recognized some people from both trips or people from from in town there in Isla uh, during our stay, you know, and when we left them being on the ferry too. And so really, really cool. Luckily the weather was good though, to where we were able to catch it. And uh, you know, it's a, I want to say it's a, you know, hour and a half, two hour ride, give or take. We uh, got on, had some food, had some drinks, just relaxed for a little bit. And then we were on to maybe my favorite island in the entire world, Isla. So most people that go to Isla go for the same exact reason that I went there. It is home to some of the most world-renowned whiskey distillers, um, especially those of a specific style. So Isla is known as being the home of peated Scotch whiskeys. Um, you know, peat is a peat is a moss that that. You know, in the UK, they've relied on it for hundreds and hundreds of years as a as a fuel source. You know, they dig it out of these bogs, let it dry into bricks, throw it in the fireplaces. And so, you know, years and years ago, that's how pretty much every distillery in the UK, you know, heated, you know, all their apparatuses that they needed during the distillation process. And most of them have gone away from the peat, but Isla, for the most part, is 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 still using peat on at almost every distillery, if not every distillery, but maybe not every single uh, bottle that they produce. And every single year on this island, they do have a big whiskey festival. It happens in uh, in uh, April May time frame, um, and so. With us going in June, it's sort of right after, um, right after the heaviest tourist season is. There's still people touring on and off, but but not near the amount. Um, but the good thing is with going after the festival, you know, sometimes you have the opportunity of, you know, these facilities put out specific additions and specific bottles just for the festival, and so these festival releases are highly uh, regarded and, and 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 highly sought after and and. So, so at some distilleries, you're able to find them. At some, you're not. It just depends on how many the distillery put out to begin with. And so <clears throat> so I was actually able to bring one back from Laphroaig, um, because they produced a little bit more than what some of the other distilleries uh, did. Besides that, um, I, Isla is just a beautiful island. There's lots of, uh, there's lots of wilderness and nature-type activities to do. And on top of that, they probably have the friendliest people of any British uh, city, village, town that I've ever been to. Um, made many, many friends. Um, some that, that we uh, exchanged social media information on and, and uh, had message back and forth. Uh, one guy, Thomas, um, that I met at the, uh, at the bar at the Beaumore Hotel, he and I got to chit-chatting, and he loves country music. 
and I'd been playing some country music on the, the uh, digital jukebox there. And so we were talking about artists. And so every now and again, if, if I find an artist that I think he'll like, I'll send it to him. And I've sent him a couple that he's just absolutely enjoyed and, and actually met his, uh, met his fiance, Danielle too. And, and, uh, um, absolutely lovely, lovely person as well. And, and there was four five, six, seven different people, uh, just at that, that pub, um, that were, you know, people that I sit by and chatted with and, and, uh, um, had drinks bought for me and bought drinks for them. And, um, without a doubt, the, the best pub that I've ever been to, um, just for, just for the sake of, of meeting outstanding people and for, <clears throat> and for us Americans too. Also, there was just a couple guys in there that, that their accents were just so thick that I could not understand for the life of me. And so, you know, the, the average American wants to have that experience where they hear that just over the top, completely, you know, hard to understand accent. And, uh, that was there in droves. So, but the, uh, but the Bowmore hotel, I tried a few different pubs there within, uh, within, within Isla, within the Bowmore village. And, uh, after going to the Bowmore Hotel Bar, I went back every single night <laughs> and uh, um, stayed there one night till actually after closing. Um, they let us hang out. You know, there was a, a few other people there too. And, and um, besides just the great people, you know, which the first night I showed up and the way I knew that it was going to be a, a very interesting experience is I'm sitting there and I just ordered a beer and bartender was like, would you like some watermelon? I was like, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't really care for watermelon, you know, it's not my favorite fruit in the world. And she's like, oh, but this isn't any watermelon. I soaked this in coconut vodka. And so, <laughs> and so this bartender, I guess, was just, you know, uh, soaking watermelon in different liquors and for different days and, and uh, had some. And I, again, I'm not traditionally a watermelon guy, but it was outstanding, and, and from there, the conversation, the people, it was just absolutely wonderful. So, without a doubt, my favorite pub on the entire island, if not all of the UK. So, if you go to Isla, you have to go drink there. Um, from there, so on the Rabbies tour, so we were booked in the cottages <clears throat> at the Bowmore Distillery, which, absolutely amazing location, right down near the, uh, near the wharf, and the um, and obviously the distillery too, which Bowmore, very very small village. Everything's within walking distance. Grocery store, restaurants, pubs, you know the water, everything. So, uh, absolutely loved it. Had a room to myself. Uh, the two guys from Germany stayed in a room on the top floor with me, and then the uh, two ladies from Japan stayed down below. Now, speaking of the distilleries, so right now there are nine current working distilleries on the island, which I believe a 10th is about to come back into production. I believe Port Ellen is uh, one that's slated to come online here. Now, the only one that I did not <coughs> actually have any of their whiskey at of all of them um, was the newest one, Ardenho, uh, just because they don't have anything really truly released that is of their first batch under the Ardenho name. And so, um, but that was, I want to say the second distillery we, we went to, but had the most amazing views of any distillery that we went to. Um, so it's, it's on the east side of the island and it's closest to <coughs> the Isle of Jura. So you walk in, which they have a really cute little cafe there. Uh, you can have a great little meal. The bar is back behind and they have a little patio area, uh, back behind that. And you sit on that patio and you can see the, the uh, uh, Paps of Jura or the, the mountains or hills of Jura. Um, you have the, the, the sea in between and it is just the most picturesque spot I think I've found um, for a drinking establishment anywhere in the world. Just, I mean, absolutely gorgeous. Could sit on that, that back patio area for hours uh, regardless of, of the time of the year, the weather, uh, just, just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. 
And, uh, and I heard a story from, uh, from Ewan when we were leaving there. <clears throat> he said that a, um, before the distillery opened, uh, Rich American had bought <clears throat> some land pretty much on the land side, uh, not the sea side, but obviously the land side uh, opposite the distillery and was in the process of building a house and, and a nice estate there. And then, you know, he had bought it purely for the view. Uh, the location was pristine. And then the distillery opened shortly thereafter uh, or was built there shortly thereafter. And now the guy uh, who had the prettiest of views and everything else, the distillery is, is blocking the majority of his views of the island of Jura. So I thought that was interesting. But uh, distillery number one that we went to since we stayed in Bowmore, our f- first day we woke up. And we went to uh, Bowmore shortly after breakfast, which, you know, on any given day on Isla, we were visiting, you know, you know, two, three, four different distilleries at a time. And so you had to get used to drinking whiskey fairly early in the morning and uh, um, you wouldn't get done till you know, pre-dinner at night. And most of us were going out and having more whiskey later on at various pubs and restaurants and a- a- everything else. And so... Um, now Bowmore was probably, probably one of my least favorite overall, just tasting wise, but the tour itself is very, very interesting. So, um, they are literally on the water. They actually have one of their warehouses is below sea level. And so the water actually hits the exterior wall of the warehouse. And so the casts that are within that room, um, definitely get a, a brininess, a, a, a seawater-esque uh, flavor, uh, way more than, than, than casts that are kept in, in other parts of the distillery. The other thing, too, is some of the bottles and things that you can see on the tour are very, very interesting. They have a bottle that they um, gave to the Queen of England, I believe, if I remember correctly. And the bottle itself is worth... Just the bottle, not even counting the whiskey. The bottle itself is is worth like a hundred thousand um, dollars. So the the bottle is, is made out of crystal and has certain uh, certain like platinum and and other valuable uh, materials carved into it. I have a video um, that I'll post on my dad travel uh, Twitter page if I haven't already. That is just outstanding. And so they have a few pictures of the, of the queen coming there and everything else. And uh, But of the whiskeys we tried there, so we tried a 12, a 15, and an 18. <clears throat> the 12 was decent. I mean, in my opinion, just sort of an average Isla scotch. Um, the 15, though, I was highly impressed with. Uh, was my favorite of the three. And the 18 was good. Um, Probably one of my my least favorite, you know, older uh, ad statements that I'd had on the island. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't as good as 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 most 18s that I'd had there. Also, guys, I do apologize. I am trying to get over a uh, little upper respiratory infection, <coughs> so if my coughs are a little off putting, or if my tone or rhythm's a little off, you know, please forgive me here. So. All right, so uh, Bowmore, Ardenaho, uh, other ones we hit those first couple days there, which we were only there really for, for three full days. We went to uh, Buna Aben, which another really great location. Um, they were actually having some uh, renovations going on. They were <laughs> building a bigger visitor center, and so there was a lot of construction going on that day. Their tasting room at the time was very, very small. Due to the renovations, um, they had two different uh, bottles there that we were able to try. They didn't charge us a thing. This is one of those great experiences that you know Ewan had called ahead and just been like, you know, hey, we hadn't planned on stopping in, but you know, this group really wants to try as much whiskey as possible. The guy was like, bring him by. Tried two different things. I ended up buying a little, a little bottle to take back and. Uh, share with the guys once they came over and 
I want to say it was a Pedro Jimenez Sherry finished um, Buna Aben, if I remember correctly. And it was very, very peppery. Uh, probably one of the spicier whiskeys I've ever had. Very, very good, but very, very strong and potent. Uh, something that's going to sort of hang in your mouth, hang, hang on your palate for quite a bit. <clears throat> but talking about their view, so they have a really, really nice little pier, little dock there, you know, just sitting out there and enjoying the, the uh, beautiful weather. And I was looking around because our tour guide had said on a beautiful day that there'd be sea otters out there swimming around. But unfortunately, the renovation was a little too loud and so we didn't really see any, but uh, so the coastline sort of on the right side of the distillery sort of juts out into the water quite a bit. You see another part of the island back behind and then out of nowhere, you see this sailboat just come out of, you know, come out of that little cove. And it was, I mean, just, just beautiful just to stand there, you know, have the wind at your back, you know, a lot rain off and on, and just watch the sailboat just go across the water. Absolutely beautiful. Um, and then from there, we went to Bruclati. Uh, Bruclati, without a doubt, was the heaviest pour of any distillery we went to. Um, we did not do a tour there either. Um, so didn't do a tour at Ardenhoe, didn't do a tour at Bunaaben, didn't do a tour here. <coughs> but... We were able to go in, have a few different uh, uh, types of tastings. We we tried their Port Charlotte, which is their peated, uh, very you know high proof whiskey. Um, got that peat smokiness to it. Was my favorite. Uh, Ashley bought a bottle of it, and I'll talk about that here in a minute. Uh, also tried their their Lati, which their uh, their Lati is a unpeated, but even at a higher proof. Um, a little strong, in my opinion, you know, a, a little, a little less complex, a, a little bit more sort of uh, brutish tasting. And then the last one, which is sort of their cult, um, spirit is their Octomore. So their Octomore is known as being one of the smokiest, um, whiskeys out there. And so, um, peated whiskeys are measured, uh, by how many smoke particles are, are uh, particle per million or or whatever, and they have a very very high ppm. And uh, honestly, was was expecting to love it, and just was a little underwhelmed by it. Uh, I want to say that when I tasted it, the, the the first thing that came to mind was just barbecue. It just tasted like that barbecue smoke. There, it was very sort of one note. Uh, not complex at all. Now it may just been a, a bad version of it, but was just not a, a, a massive fan by any means. But <clears throat> one of the cooler experiences of the distilleries is they had a massive cask of the Port Charlotte and a massive cask of the Lottie, and you could pay and you could fill your own bottle and you could also put your own label on that bottle. And so I enjoyed the Port Charlotte more, had that filled, and uh, is one of my more prized bottles that I brought back on the trip. And uh, But, I mean, they were without a doubt very, very heavy-handed on the pours. So if you want to go to a distillery and, and get the most bang for your buck tasting-wise, uh, Brucolati is definitely the place to go. Um, next stop was uh, Kilhoman. And this was honestly the one that I was expecting to be the most impressed with. I'd had Kilhoman um, in Germany when we went over to visit Florian and his family. Uh, Florian's dad took me on a tasting, or took me to a wine and liquor event. Um, he was going to go and try some of the red wines, and and uh, he, he, he had heard that I was a big whiskey fan, and so the local uh, uh, liquor retailer had this big thing going on with all these different tastings and and um it was my first try of kill home in there and really 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 enjoyed it <laughs> now the tour itself <coughs> excuse me good tour 
Um, you know, got to see just as many parts, if not more, of a distillery that we did at, at others. Uh, another really, really nice setting, uh, a little further away from the coastline, but has some really, really great hills around you, and, and you're surrounded by um, a lot of the barley fields because they actually sort of call themselves a farm-to-table uh, whiskey. Um, they handle as many elements uh, of the whiskey as they possibly can, growing the barley and uh, um, smoking the barley there in-house, which, you know, come to find out, not all the distillers do. A lot of them actually send it down to Port Ellen, um, and Port Ellen has a massive, massive facility there where they where they smoke the barley to whatever specifications that the distillers want. So, um, but Kilhoman again, you know, good tour, you know, good whiskey, probably the best experience there though <coughs> is our last tasting um, we took with us. Um, so if you're worried about, you know, going on, you know, liquor tastings and let's say you're the driver of your friends and family, a lot of the distilleries over there did do uh, driver pours. So they put it just in a little glass vial and you could take it with you, take it back to the hotel, have it later that night. <coughs> but right near Kilhoman is uh, Machir Bay, beautiful little beach. And so Ewan was like, why don't we take our last drink and let's go down the beach. Let's enjoy it. You know, have a little beach time, <coughs> walk around. And, uh, uh, Kilhoman was one of the many distilleries also that gave us, which pretty much every distillery gave us a, a tasting glass, but they gave us also one that had a lanyard uh, wrapped around it too. So you wouldn't even have to carry your glass with you. Just put it around your neck and go. And we went down to Machir Bay and this entire trip, I've been thinking about my mom and we're walking down to the beach, you know, it's a, you know, five to 10 minute walk through the dunes and everything else. And, and going to the beach was very, very emotional. I didn't see the emotion sort of creeping up on me, but I get out there, I walk right, you know, right up to the water's edge, you know, beautiful, beautiful sky, you know, the sand squishing under my shoes, and I have a nice dram of whiskey in my glass. And I think that was the moment that I sort of needed to sort of deal with everything with my mom. And, and at that moment, you know, just pure emotion just sweeps up over me. Um, you know, tears welling up in my eyes. You know, I've never been more sure of a, of a person who is, you know, passed on being around me than in that one moment. I knew right then that, that this was the trip that not only did I need to go on, but my mom wanted me to go on and get away and, and really enjoy life and, and live in the moment and not be thinking about <clears throat> what happened months ago, what, what's going to happen months in advance, you know, what, you know, not having to worry about anything that was left behind or is yet to come that I'd have to deal with. And, uh, that was absolutely amazing. Um, experience amazing moment uh and from there on you know it really did feel like there was a a, a weight off my shoulders you know I didn't really feel like I got you know really emotional the rest of the trip that was sort of the the, the last moment that that I needed to just really just have a carefree trip and a carefree time in Scotland from there forward so also on the island you have the man who's responsible for making the tartan design that Mel Gibson's character, uh, William Wallace, wore in Braveheart. Um, th this guy's been making wool fabric and other items for, for years and years and years and years, and he is, he is known all throughout the world. Some of his stuff ends up on fashion runways all over the world, and, and uh, so we stopped in there, just sort of spur of the moment thing. Um, Several people bought items. I myself, I bought myself a wool hat, you know, sort of one of those traditional sort of British little build hats, sort of like what the Peaky Blinders wear. And um, it was a great alternative to wear throughout the UK, just, you know, due to the rain. You know, wool is a great fabric to wear in all the elements. 
And uh, so if I didn't want to mess up my baseball hat that day, I'd wear that out. Uh, and then from there, our last day, we hit up the, you know, the holy trinity, in my opinion, of, <coughs> of Isla Distilleries. We hit up Ardbeg, we hit up Lafroig, and we hit up Lagavulin. Those of y'all that watch Parks and Rec, Lagavulin is uh, Nick Offerman's uh, favorite. Uh, they actually released a, uh, a Lagavulin 11 uh, for Nick Offerman this year that's only available in the U.S. So, uh, you know, so that, like the people who work at the distillery <coughs> in Isla, they can't even try it. It's only available in the U.S. period. Um, and Lagavulin probably has, you know, the biggest name of, of those three. You know, in my opinion, though, Ardbeg and and uh, and Lafroig are my two favorites. Um, both of them are are pretty pretty peaty, pretty smoky. You know, Lagavulin's probably a little bit more balanced. Um, but we start off the day, I believe, at Ardbeg. We we had a late sort of get up that day because uh, we had to pack up from our cottages, and so we stopped at Ardbeg, did our tour, and then. Uh, and then had lunch there, which was a, a, a very, a very, a very decent lunch. Um, had a very, very good cider there, which, you know, c- ciders I've sort of become more, uh, more likened to in the last few years. And, and, uh, so I, I was able to have an elderflower cider there that was outstanding. Um, the tour itself, um, Ardbeg was probably the best tour on the island, um, our tour guide there even let us try a little bit of the, um, a little bit of the wash. All right. So pretty much the, the beer tight liquid, um, before it's distilled, uh, they just had a little, little vial that they dropped down in there and anybody who wanted to come up and have a taste could. And it was actually extremely pleasant. If any of y'all have had the, uh, Shiner box smokehouse beer that was, was released maybe, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, very, very similar. You know, ha- has a lot of the same elements that the Ardbeg whiskey does, but <coughs> just in a form that, <coughs> excuse me, it's about anywhere between 4 to 7% alcohol versus, you know, versus being 60% alcohol like their, like their uh, whiskey is. So um, other cool fact that we found out, which, you know, most distilleries throughout the world are owned by a big, or bigger corporation, but um, so Ardbeg is actually owned by the company that owns Glenmorangie, and so once they were bought by them, a lot of improvements uh, were being made, and and actually, if I remember correctly, there was a little bit of construction going on at the distillery. So, um, but uh, pulling up to Ardbeg too, or pulling into Ardbeg, one of the cooler things is they have a massive copper still out there in the middle, and it has a dent. And um, they believe that the, the the whiskey tasted different once that still received its dent. And so when they replaced that still and put the old one out front, when they put the new one in, they, they made sure that they made a similar dent in that still uh, that they replaced it with. So I thought, thought that was pretty neat. But, uh, but cool little tour, uh, beautiful s- setting, which, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to find a ugly uh, place distillery on the island. Um, then from there, we went to Lafroig. Or, no, correction, sorry. We went to Lagavulin next because uh, Lagavulin was just right down the road. <coughs> Lagavulin, we had, we didn't do a tour, but we did do a tasting, uh, and it was a very cool tasting. We did a warehouse tasting, and um, we, were, we probably made up half the overall group uh, that was doing it. And traditionally, it's done by a very sort of prestigious worker there at Lagavulin, but he was actually um, in Edinburgh at the time. Edinburgh was having a big uh, agricultural uh, festival, and so he was there uh, for Lagavulin. And so we had a different guy. This guy still did an outstanding job, though. Um, And... With him not being there, according to Ewan, our tour guide, uh, with 
with Rabbies, he said that we probably ended up actually getting a little bit heavier pours there as well. So, so this warehouse, warehouse tour, you actually literally go into the warehouse. You have casks surrounding you. Um, I sit next to this couple from, uh, from the U.S. The husband's in the military, stationed in Germany, and uh, they had been doing a little, a little getaway tour. And uh, so I chit-chat with them off and on, which he was a big fan of whiskey. She was not as much. <clears throat> had a good time, but so they have four different casks out in front of you too, and these are the casks that you're gonna try. And um, what was cool is you could see the different sizes of the cask, and our uh, Lagavulin person would go through and you know and sort of ask people, you know, what type of cask do you think this originally was? And and so we tried four different types. We tried a seven, and we tried a nine year. The seven and nine year were purely in ex-bourbon barrels, nothing else. And then we had a 21-year, and then we had a 22-year. Um, and one of them I know was in a sherry cast. The other one, I can't remember exactly, and I didn't take notes of what type of cast it was in. Um, but just, I mean, there, <laughs> there is something to be said about going from such a young age statement whiskey and then going to such an old, you know. The average the average drinker is going to be drinking you know something between an eight to a ten, uh, and you know some people will go up and drink a fifteen eighteen, but some people will go their entire lives <clears throat> and never drink a, a twenty twenty one twenty two, you know. And on this trip, I, I think I had as as old as a uh, as a thirty or thirty five year old, um, and so the tastes are way more sort of interesting. Um, you know, and I tried so much, you know, so many different spirits on the trip too. You know, you get a different mouthfeel for different brands, you know, and one thing I found out on the trip that Ardbeg told us about, so Ardbeg uses, uh, uh, wooden mash tons. So wooden massive vats, you know, where they have the, the, um, where they have the wash before it goes in and gets distilled. So, you know, when all this stuff is fermenting in a liquid form before it gets distilled. And so found out that in a wooden mash tun, the whiskey that comes out of that tends to be a little bit sort of, you know, waxier. It has a different texture in your mouth, you know. And uh, as as I want to say either the guy at Lagavulin or you and our tour guide, you know, it has almost like a chew to it. You know, when you take a sip of it, it really does cover the entirety of your mouth, you know, and, and it's a totally different feel than if you drink a whiskey out of a uh, distillery that purely uses a stainless steel mash tun. <clears throat> and so trying four types that were so different, 7, 9, 21, 22, straight from the barrel, not from a bottle too, uh, was just a really, really cool experience. Had a blast. Uh, and part of it too is is so you know you and being our driver obviously he can't drink on, on the job, but he got driver bottles for every single one of his tastings, and so you know sort of seeing his experience. This was one of the only tours where he actually went with us and smelled the stuff at the same time that we did and experienced it at the same time that we did, and so seeing his reactions were were uh, were, were very very interesting. So, and then lastly we went to Lefroy. So Lefroig is, you know, it's pretty much my favorite scotch. Uh, it is not for the, the common drinking palate. It is very out there. Uh, they, they actually sort of have a cult following just based off of people's descriptions of what it tastes like. And so most of their, you know, marketing <coughs> is just having somebody try it and then try to describe it in words. And all over the distillery, they have all these unique ways people have described it for the first time. Um, and, but there's something about it that, that I just love. It's, it's smoky. It's medicinal. Uh, it also sort of has that, that texture, that chew to it. Um, lots of peat, you know, it's really, really, really good. I mean, heck I, I've, you know, but it's not for everybody. Um, you know, I gave it to a, uh, Sports radio and former college and NFL player that that uh, is a radio host back in Arkansas, David Basil. I bought him some uh, that I'll talk about more in a later episode. But uh, but he was not a fan, you know. Uh, but 
in my opinion, if you can appreciate a Lafroig or if you can appreciate an Ardbeg, um, you're probably a little bit more seasoned of a of a whiskey drinker to begin with. So, but at the Lafroig, you know, did a walkthrough of of the distillery. You know, did our tour. <clears throat> um, also, you know, they were a little bit more detailed about. <clears throat> about some of their uh, processes of like, you know, how they, how they move the barley while it's being malted. You know, uh, one thing I respect is when a new trainee comes on or a new worker comes on and works the malt floors, they still teach them how to do it with the old school methods of the shovel. And so, um, you know, the shovel is what's known for giving people what's called monkey shoulder, where, you know, they take the shovel and they move this barley and sort of sprinkle it off to the side. And so people will get this soreness, get this sort of inflamed, but over time, a more muscular you know, shoulder, which is the back shoulder, which they use to lift the shovel. And so these young guys or whoever it is, that's how they start learning how to do it. But then they have these almost like motorized snowplow type apparatuses that once they get the hang of it and they understand the, the tradition of the old school sh- shovel, then they let them use that. And so I thought that was neat. Um, the other thing, too, is that distillery, when it really sort of made leaps and bounds, <coughs> um, they had a they had a female master distiller. Uh and if I remember correct, her name was John Stun, which I thought was interesting. So, um, and then from there, um, we got to try three different varieties. We tried the Lafroy Tin, which I'd had many times. <clears throat> we uh, we tried the Triple Wood, which I had not had. So the Triple Wood is is you know starts out in the X bourbon and then has two other varieties of cast that it's put into, and then. Uh, and then we, our third one that we had was their quarter cask. So um, the quarter cask, they move into a smaller cask. You know, the smaller the cask it is, the quicker it matures, the quicker it takes on the, the flavor and the depth from the actual uh, barrel. And so had all three of those, absolutely wonderful. And then um, there I bought a, uh, I bought a festival bottle. So it was pretty much a version of the triple wood that they put out specifically and it was outstanding uh, i also found out lafroy is actually owned by beam suntory which beam suntory is one of the other <coughs> really 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 big uh, overall owning corporations in the world uh but one of the cool things is is as we're going through lafroy i'm seeing all the barrels and i'm seeing the the bourbon print that's on them and so um, for those of y'all like Maker's Mark, uh, a lot of the Lafroig, uh, whiskey is put into X Maker's Mark barrels, which, which I, Maker's Mark is one of my more favorite bourbons. And so I thought that was pretty neat. And then, uh, and then from there too, <coughs> Lafroig has a really cool program. It's called the Friends of Lafroig. <clears throat> when you buy a bottle, every single bottle comes with this little booklet, you uh, log on to this website, you sign up for the Friends of Freud, <clears throat> and anytime you visit the distillery, uh, you are able to go visit, you're given, and they say it's a, I think a, a one by one foot or one by one meter plot of land, and when you get there, you, you can decorate it how you want. Also, when you get there and tell them you're a Friends of Lafroy member, they give you a, uh, I want to say it's a 50 milliliter bottle uh, of Lafroy 10 for free. Um, so, you know, cool little perks. You know, you can also get online and order s- special things too. Um, but the whole, the whole plot of land thing, what it is, is you can go out to um, their fields and you can take a little paper version uh, of your flag. They have flags for pretty much every country throughout the world. And you can go out there and you can sort of plant your flag on your plot of land. You know, they don't truly have it mapped out. It's not like you have to go and see exactly what spot's yours. You just go out there and, you know, find your spot. And, and uh, they even do a tour where you can walk all throughout their peat bogs and everything else. And so they have some really, really cool tour options. So um, if you're planning on going to Isla, you know, check out all the things that, uh, that LaFroy offers.
So besides the obvious destinations that we went to on the island that you would go to Isla for, you know, people are really what made this trip what it was, you know, from Ewan, our outstanding bus driver and guide, which, you know, he tried to apologize a whole bunch about, you know, talking too much while we were driving and everything else. But, you know, I even went up to him and told him, you know, I was like, we're on this trip to, to learn more about the country and, you know, and you're giving us an insight that we wouldn't be able to find from a book. And, and uh, you know, so don't apologize about you, you know, sp- spreading your love for your country with us. So he was outstanding. I mean, went out of his way, <clears throat> bought us food at times, bought us drinks at times, um, you know, did anything and everything he could purely to make our trip awesome. Um uh, then the people of the island, you know, as I said, you know, the Bumore Hotel bar, you know, hanging out in there was outstanding. Um, every single night that I was there, I found multiple people that I could just sit and chit chat with. And by the end of it, you know, felt like you were chit chatting with a long lost friend or relative. Um, and then just the people on the tour itself. Uh, so our last night we had a, uh, we planned to have a meal together. You know, certain people were talking and <clears throat> thought it'd be a really, really great idea to just go have a dinner all together, you and included, to uh, celebrate our last night together. And uh, and it was really, really fitting and, and wonderful. You know, even though that there were language barriers, even though there were, you know, totally different age groups. I mean, really, me and the the guy from Japan we're the only what I would consider young <coughs> youngish people there. I think he was probably in his late twenties. You know, I'm in my mid thirties. Um, you know, the two guys from Germany are probably in their early to mid forties. You know, same for the uh, two ladies from Japan. You know, and then both married couples. You know, one was forties to early fifties, and the other one was, was was all the way. You know, probably in the late fifties, early sixties. So. Just so many differences between us, but we were still able to just hang out, have a good time. Uh, the two ladies from Japan, one morning, without with, without asking, without hinting, without anything, um, they made us breakfast one day for me and the other two guys from Germany. Uh, just, I mean, super, super, super sweet. And it was just an outstanding trip. Um, you know, one that cannot be replicated but the cool thing, too, was knowing that my trip wasn't over. <laughs> so I still, had, I still had a whole lot more time to go. I had 10 more days, pretty much, left on this trip. I had my friend Eric and my friend Greg, which you'll probably hear me refer to him as Gorg. Um, they were coming over uh, in a couple days. And so I still had a whole lot more to see. Um, the married couple from Germany, they had, they'd already done a, um, uh, a rabbis tour of Speyside, Scotland, uh, whiskey tour there. And so they were headed back. I think they were just getting done with three or four weeks vacation. So, um, so, I mean, a lot of our trips were, were not quite over or, or were just now ending. And so everybody's sort of merging together at the same time and just having a blast. And so, um, so from here, all right, this is where I'm going to sort of break off this part and, uh, uh, of the episode. And so next episode, I'm going to be getting into more of what type of fun, uh, f- fun adventures we got into with, uh, with me, Eric, and, and, uh, and Greg. Uh, just a little preview, you know, we rented a, uh, a BMW hatchback and uh, drove that all over Scotland. You know, I know I've already told you guys that we hit up eight, eight distilleries on the island of Isla. I hit up... Uh, you know, one more in the city of Oban, you know, which is dying. Well, me and my buddies, we still hit up more. Uh, by the end of my trip, I hit up 14 and 14 days on average. Or not on average, that's just it. 14 and 14 days. So so stay tuned. Uh, sorry if I'm a little rusty trying to get back in the swing of this. Um, other stuff that I've got uh, left to tell y'all too is I have other episodes coming forward. Uh, Eric, his wife and, and child and, and my family, we went to Hawaii just this, uh, l- last month. And so 
got episodes talking about that. And then also the dad travel, you know, brands is going to have a whole lot more fun travel related stuff coming. Um, got some stuff in the works that I'm very excited about that, um, it's sort of going to give me, give me something to think about post post football and post teaching, you know, if I ever decide to step away from that, whether it's at retirement or sooner. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm really excited. It's going to allow me hopefully to, to travel more and experience more and to share more with y'all. So, so this is dad travel signing off. I hope everybody is, is in the process of planning a trip and, and has taken great ones. And I look forward to talking to y'all soon. Adios.